0: Three, two, two, one. one. All right, Dr. CB, we back.
1: Yeah, we are back. Take 11. Let's go. <laughs> Take 11. Take 11, this man. This is the one. I got a good feeling. I have a good feeling, man. Three's a charm? Nah. Carry the one. 11's a charm. Let's go.
2: <laughs> all
0: right.
1: Yeah, what do you think, man? It is good to be back in the chateau. And it it's... is good to be back. Oh, yuck. Here we go. Here we go. Starting with the bun game strong. On the way up and on the way down. Here we go what else you got button games oh dude i got buttons for days i know that <coughs> button game is not mediocre that one's super compelling that one always pulls me in oh yeah alarm anyhow where are we <laughs> <laughs> i think we're in the rope out apocalypse oh man it does make me feel nervous but that's on the horizon huh Apocalyptica, Robotica. Yeah, it's a community event going on. What is that? Yeah, July 9th at Yucca North, right here in Flagpole, Arizona Nice, 8.30 p.m. You can find your tickets online for $25. And this is being hosted or put on by Kaylee Quick, who was on the pod earlier. And Dapper Dre has a hand in it. Dapper Dre has a hand in it. I believe there's all kinds of great stuff. Yeah. I just hope they don't take over the show
0: at some point. Should be. Oh, the robot's taking over our podcast? Yeah, that might happen. You know with AI it's always a threat. Yeah, that makes me feel very nervous. Yeah. About but the future. Should be a fun night though, huh? Should be a fun night. Daniel, uh it does start at eight thirty. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well I usually start my chamomile tea at seven thirty mm-hmm. and then turn down the covers at eight thirty. Okay. And usually by eight
1: thirty one I'm You're uh,
3: asleep in those covers. You're (laughs) in the
1: covers. So it takes a minute for you to turn down the covers and then get in the bed. Okay.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like to document minute by minute. Okay. So 8.32, are you asleep (laughs) or is that like you've rested? 8.32, I'm on stage one. Your head is fully
1: relaxed into the pillow.
0: 8.32, I'm at stage one. Oh, eight, wow eight i'm at stage two dang man
1: yeah, yeah. hitting those splits <laughs> hitting those splits
0: yeah, i like to race through <laughs> i like to race through the stages of sleep I and do believe that. Anyhow, yeah. I think I may stay a plate for this. I mm-hmm. also think it's going to be a
1: really great time. Ah, yeah, no doubt. I was, when I saw you at 30 p.m., I did feel a twinge of nervousness about what that would do for your sleep cycle yeah. and your routine. But it should be a good time. And uh,
0: do not confuse this with the robot hibachi.
1: Yes, the robot hibachi. Uh, <laughs> if you find yourself at the robot hibachi, just remember the apocalypse is later. And that will be the end of it. <laughs> at? Yeah. At the robot <laughs> Yeah, man, it's the grill, <laughs> the robot grill. Or if you're playing robot ball, you can have a whole day with robots. It could be a robot ibachi ball, followed by a ro- dinner at the robot Ibachi, followed by the robot apocalypse, which is night-night for everybody. Ringing
0: endorsement. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like you said, I hope they don't take over the show.
1: Oh, man. Yeah. I am feel a little on edge about that one.
0: Yeah. Well, what do we got on the docket?
1: What is the oh, show? Oh, come okay. on. This is a big one, man. I'm super pumped. We're going beyond flag with Don Kish. Kish alicious. Kish. Don Wall. The Don Wall.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. somewhere around there. Don mm-hmm.
1: Kish. Photographer, conservationist, and documentary filmmaker. She got her first camera at the tender age of 17 from her mentor, Sue Bennett. And at that time, little did she know, it would result in a 30 plus year career shooting adventure, yeah. commercial, conservation photography yeah she was
0: off at that juncture
1: huh yeah it was moving
0: yeah and so for is it pronounced kisholicious yeah you got it you gotta kind of you uh accentuated that nicely at the end too okay okay yeah so the subject of her work often includes documenting stories of indigenous folks in the southwest hanging off walls in yosemite or other types of uh, adventure activities Some of her clients include Arizona Highways, Grand Canyon Trust, National Geographic, Patagonia, and Sports Illustrated. She hit in the big time. Big time. Yeah. She also worked as a river guide for the USGS and describes
1: the river as being a part of her, that it's in her heart and in her soul. That's right. Her conservation work included a portrait series called Connected, which documented the important work of the 22 tribes in Arizona and their deep connection and relationship to the land that they honor and protect.
0: Mm -hmm. And as a filmmaker, so she's entered film, as a film director, she directed the short film Can't Beat This Place for Fun, which was shown at the Mountain Film Fest in 2021. This film was an ode to the local boat shop, uh, Fret Boat, works right fret water yeah. fret water boat works that keeps the tradition of wooden boat building alive while honoring the story of Martin
1: Linton's Grand Canyon Dory yeah come on she talks about that film a little bit in the in the show here Yeah, she talks about how it went worldwide which was really cool to see yeah um, currently she's in the process of shooting a new film titled Tad's Emerging World which is a super compelling idea in which Don is documenting the epic landscape of Glen Canyon using an old Crown graphic 4x5 camera, which was the same one that was used by Tad Nichols to document Glen Canyon in his book called Glen Canyon, Images of a Lost World. Mm. All this from a person who graduated from Coconino, my third favorite high school right here in Flagstaff, Arizona. Nice. Third favorite? Come on. Going hard. Yeah, are there three now? And there's more. Anyways, two, two. Well, I mean, uh, public schools. Public schools. Yeah, come on. Mine is no longer. At any rate, hashtag yeah. go Panthers. Panthers. Yeah, come on, yeah. Uh, just on
0: a quick side. Didn't, <clears throat> yeah. Didn't your high school go out of business? <laughs> it
1: just it uh, evolved into a middle school. <laughs> so went out of business. <laughs> right yeah. after you were there, right? Yeah, yeah. We kind of shut the place down. I feel like, yeah. I can see why. Well, really what happened is we started the decline. Yeah, the years after us really picked it up and ran with it. Yeah, so you set the foundation for the
0: decline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good for you. Yeah. Mustang apocalypse. Yeah. Well, in this episode, Don discusses the TAD project, including its origins and what it's been like creating it thus far, what got her into photography, and her connection to Flagstaff. In between these topics, there are various places The discussion lands, which include learning about Dawn, jokes for days, and going ham
1: sandwich on the button game strong. Man, ham sandwich on the hashtag button game a little too strong. Uh, Not not possible. Not possible? Yeah. Yeah, we'll have to leave that to the listeners.
0: Yeah. Uh, Well, thanks for joining us as we go beyond flag with...
1: Dawn Kish. Welcome to Beyond Flag, a Beyond the Pines production, created by, with, and for the people of Flagstaff, building connection in the town we love. We are your hosts, Dr. Daniel J. Phillips, and Cody Bayless, also known as Dr. Chinchilla Nice Nice. Thanks for tuning in as we go Beyond Flag, straight from the dunny of our observatory. Back in Le Chateau, we are here with Don Kish. Thank you so much for joining
2: Hi, it's good to be here.
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's Kishalicious. (laughs) Kishalicious. I was referring to you as the Dawn Wall.
2: Yeah, I'm sure (laughs) we could come up
1: with some other nicknames as time unfolds as well.
2: Yeah, I like nicknames. They're fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. So I feel really lucky to sit with you today. It seems like you've been out and about um, doing a lot of filming. I guess I'd be curious just to hear what life's been like recently.
2: Yes, it's been going, 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 getting in a car, getting in a boat. Yeah, um, paddling, Uh, big adventures in Glen Canyon. Um, Keep you active, keep you traveling. Let's see, we just got back from filming the last leg of our film, Tad's Emerging World, Mm -hmm. and we were in this most amazing side canyon. I can't even describe, it's like magical. Beautiful sand carved um walls slot canyon super sensual super amazing and now back in editing mode so got all the footage that we need for our film and then now we're just going into editing mode and hopefully finishing the film by end of july okay so yeah lots of time on the computer now (laughs) (laughs) So, so you've
0: done all the film the filming's done
2: Filming's done. I started this in uh, September of last year. Mm -hmm. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I didn't shoot, you know, during the wintertime or anything like that, Mm -hmm. because it was just too cold, but picked up the project uh, back in the spring, and then did some stuff um, just recently. Yeah, I just wanted to make it the best it could be. And plus, the canyon just kept calling me and calling me. So I Kept going, <laughs> and I was like, I still need to take photos because it's just so hard to get on the lake. You need a boat, you need gas, you need money, and you need time just to get from one place to the other. Just takes a long time to get there. You know, it's a big, adventurous place. Glen Canyon is so overwhelming, it's so gigantic. I had no idea. <laughs> I thought, oh, I'm just gonna go to this canyon, and take some pictures. <laughs> no, it's not like. That. that at all it was like whoa where are we going oh man that's really far so a lot of time and effort and being overwhelmed but yeah just trying to get to the places to take the images so a daunting task and then finally you get there and it's like raining or windy Mm, yeah or you know it just doesn't work the light is bad. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah. (laughs) Then what do you have left? Okay. The next day. Mm -hmm. And so your time is like dwindling. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so that's why I had, I felt like I had to keep going back to this amazing, beautiful place. Mm
0: -hmm. And so, uh, you've mentioned the projects several times. Uh, what's the project you're referring to? You said since last spring, you've been working on it. What is it?
2: Okay, so I've started a movie called Tad's Emerging World. Mm -hmm. And it is about Tad. Tad Nichols was a photographer back in the 1950s. And he documented Glen Canyon before the dam, before Glen Canyon Dam filled up the reservoir called Lake Powell now, as Mm -hmm. we know it. Uh, About two years ago, a friend of mine is also a photographer, printmaker, and helped Tad um print this beautiful book called Glen Canyon Images of a Lost World. And that book it was such an inspiration to what was. Glen Canyon was incredibly beautiful and Tad's images were like Ansel Adams like. And so as me as a photographer, I would just slip away into this other world and look at these images and just get lost, thinking that I would never see Glen Canyon ever in my lifetime. But recently, the lake levels finally dropped to its all-time historic low. Actually, the lowest was in April twenty-second, two 2022, where it was getting very close to um, stop producing um electricity with the dam so it was very close and everybody kind of freaked out and then they asked flaming gorge to just release a bunch of water so i'm making a film about going back and documenting this and it just so happens that i have tad's camera and my friend richard jackson is letting me borrow this camera. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty cool.
0: Yeah. The, the camera that, the actual camera that Tad used yeah. in the 60s. Yeah. That In the
2: 1950, all the way from 1950 to 1963, he documented Glen Canyon. Not only with this camera, he had a bunch of other cameras as well, but. This one is the one that came into my hands about a couple of years ago.
1: Oh, it looks like such an amazing project. I, I really wonder, you know, I was reading one of your interviews and you made this reference to, if you were to look on modern maps, some of the places where you're taking these images would be blue, like it would be water on the map, right? And I was wondering what it's like for you to even carry Tad's camera, to walk on that ground. What does it feel like? What does it smell like? Those kinds of things.
2: feels amazing. It's an old four by five camera, so just the film itself is p- quite big it's four inches by five inches pieces of film yeah. in a canister and so it's it's kind of big and clunky and, it goes, and um it makes these great sounds and sometimes it doesn't pull out right and it's like come on tad come out like the bell the bells won't come out gracefully they kind of like you know like kind of like an old piece of machinery in a way.
3: Yeah,
0: I saw an interview with you uh, or read an interview that you had done. It was a print one and you had mentioned how it it was a little daunting to take a camera and to actually begin using film and that you backed things up using digital image because it was a little nerve wracking to think, did I capture what I wanted to almost, or that's how I read it. That's how I understood what it was like to take a picture, a film picture where you don't know the product. You're unsure of the result. Yeah. What was that experience like out
2: there? So I mentioned the place was overwhelming.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I guess keep times by 100 and <laughs> a million. Yeah. And a, so, yeah, it's it was, this whole project was a very daunting task for sure. Um, A lot of times I question my sanity um, in trying to produce this, but everything kind of came into place like I got used to the camera more Um, I'm used I I worked with four by five in the past which is not a a big deal but like you said you're I was so used to digital like seeing the outcome right away Mm -hmm. you you're not knowing what's going to happen until Mm -hmm. you get into the dark and then you're like oh my god there it is Mm -hmm. thank god the image is there you know so sometimes you're like okay thank god but just trying to get there, just trying to be there and just trying to relax Mm -hmm. with your environment. I had to convince myself to just like, okay, that's okay. Just breathe. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I would just pull the trigger and then and then release it and just do like this breath because I was trying to take in the beauty. And not think about all the stuff that was kind of a, you know, a little bit stressful. And uh, I felt like I was meant to be there eventually. Because if you want to go back to your question, I was like, I finally felt really comfortable with the camera. And felt, yeah, like it was just kind of an extension of me, like my other cameras were. I kept calling it Tad and... Like it was just more of a spirit, you know, and less of a camera. So I was definitely trying to tap into what Tad was seeing or be inspired what I thought he would maybe take a picture of or just be inspired by him in general or, and then just be inspired by the beauty of nature too. Mm -hmm. Like watching the light, watching the reflections, um, Not every shot was a good one. (laughs) So you have to be like really careful, like what you're going to take a photo of because there's only like that one shot, right? So you're going to be like, okay, got to like really think about what I'm going to do here. Mm -hmm. And maybe I wouldn't take it. Maybe I'd set up and go, oh, the light's gone. You know, damn it. Because it takes a little while to set it up. It takes, you know. Right. You got to put it on the tripod, got to like focus. I showed you, I don't think you, <laughs> you got to put the cape on, you got to, it's like, you're not just like putting it up to your eye and click. Mm-hmm. So it, it just took a long time just to make one exposure. And sometimes it wouldn't be happening and sometimes it would.
3: Yeah.
1: I was thinking like, I, and I had this image of you kind of carrying all this stuff through, yeah, like I guess Glen Canyon getting set up and then um, maybe not even capturing the image that. That you're aiming for, then it seems like that could be super frustrating.
2: Yeah, well sometimes <laughs> yeah. like
1: Just cursing the sky yeah, sort of cursing,
2: thing. yeah. And just yeah. well, I'm pretty quiet on that level when I'm stressed. So I probably just went and made a cocktail or something.
3: <laughs> 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 Absolutely. So, done. Yeah. so I think I'm done.
2: E- ease the nerves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I actually had that
0: experience once hiking with a photographer. We drove to this somewhat distant location and then backpacked 10 miles and we're going to stay the night with packs and the pack with his gears heavier, obviously. Oh, yeah. To make all that sacrifice. And then we showed up and the lighting was bad and it was super windy. Like conditions never were good. So the, we were there for two days and he never got the conditions he had hoped for. Right. Right. Still, you make that commitment. Yeah. Yeah. It's intense.
2: It is intense. And that happens a lot, especially with um, these are mostly landscape photographer Mm. photographs. So I mean, I've done a few people um, within the landscape. um, But I was just mostly concentrating on landscapes. But yeah, the wind, (laughs) you don't want wind hitting your camera when you're at slow shutter speeds and then the wind in glen canyon is so intense i mean that's why it's so beautiful because it's all these curved walls it's like the wind's creating those curved walls so you get it but um wind rain we had it all mud stuck in the mud sand dust ruining your camera equipment um yeah you name it it's it's tough out there. Mm-hmm. It's tough to make landscape shots. And and then it didn't work out the first trip. So five days turned into four days because of the wind. Second trip, God, we had such an incredible thunderstorm that it broke my tent.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, God. yeah.
2: I woke up the next morning with all rain and I mean, I had such good crew that we had still kept it light and still kept going down river and still had a great time, but mm-hmm. just had to figure out how to keep moving and not let it get to you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I was thinking one cocktail, two cocktails. I mean, how many cocktails are? Yeah. After the tent. After the tent collapses, yeah. What, a, like what keeps you going in when conditions are like that and things are just not how you would draw it up, I guess? <laughs>
2: I, I don't know, because I'm, I guess I'm just a weirdo. I just <laughs> of punishment just like, sort of thing. All right, I'll just, like, yeah. what next? <laughs> I'll take it, I guess. Yeah. yeah.
0: <clears throat> were there, uh, I, I'm curious, were there precarious moments in the boat, like, um, on the river itself? Were there times where it was either rough rot- water? You mentioned that Glen Canyon, the water's more calm than the canyon, the Grand Canyon but were there any rough moments in the boat with the equipment?
2: So back in the day when the river did, and the Colorado ran through Glen Canyon, it was pretty mellow type of river, like Class 1, 2-ish. Uh, not like Grand Canyon, which is 4, 5-ish. Um, so not there's no whitewater in the mm-hmm. Glen Canyon section. But when the lake uh, filled up, this lake, when the wind hits, it can turn into an ocean. So there were times where oh, my little boat, it was like 16 feet. It was like just a little boat, a little motor, six horsepower, you know, and there's all these jet boats and houseboats that are just gigantic, you know. The water just turns into these giant white caps. Mm-hmm. I have to get off the river. I have to get off the lake then because mm-hmm. uh, it'll just clobber me and toss me around like a little cork. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there are were um, some moments like that. Um, I was with uh, somebody else. So they had a jet boat, and it was like, they we ran out of gas. Oh, no. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's Yikes. all kinds of things that can happen out there. I feel like, yeah, this is just one of my biggest challenges, and but also one of the best projects I think I've ever had, so...
1: Why why is this project so important to you particularly?
2: I think the Southwest is just so gorgeous that I want to protect it. I've been working with conservation groups for years and I've been a photographer, outdoor photographer for over 25 years. I started with snowboarding, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, worked for snowboarding, Transworld Snowboarding Magazine when I was like 20. And then... um, And then I worked for like bike magazine and I just did all the climbing magazine. And so I was an adventure hog photographer, right? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And then just going to all these beautiful places all the time, I just realized that you gotta help protect these places, these beautiful places, because they're just gonna be overrun if we don't. So I realized that doing art and my art is photography, and now filmmaking, and that has a voice in protecting our places. So I just wanted to protect my home, you know? The Southwest is my home, and I just wanted to protect what was kind of coming up apart at the seams. I feel like Glen Canyon could be freed if it was, if it's possible. Um, But I think the powers that be won't let it go until the last moment or with their dying breath. I think Mother Nature is trying to tell us something and nobody's really listening. Um, There's just no water. You know, we're in a drought. We consumed way too much. There's climate change. Um, There's just so much, though. I think um, we need to figure out how to protect these places and ourselves.
1: So really protection and conservation is sort of the thing that keeps you going through all that. Yeah. That's kind of the why in the project.
2: Yeah, art and and advocacy together. That's kind of like my main goal. And yeah, so we can be out there and enjoy these places free and natural as possible.
1: Yeah, and like in that, I just wonder... um, Before we started recording, you showed us your current article in the Arizona highways that came out this month, it looked like, if I'm right. Uh And one of your shots has the original Colorado River Channel, which you were saying has been pretty much underwater for the last 60 years. And it's one of those things where I wonder, like, when you walk up to that and you see that for the first time, what is that like?
2: Oh, man, I cried. Yeah? I just couldn't believe it. I was so shocked that the river returned huh. and that the lake was gone. I would thought I was going to Height Marina to see a giant lake still. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got there and I went to the Height Overlook and I, look, and I would look down and I was like, oh my God, here it is. There's the river. And I just cried. I was like, yay, there's Glen Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought I would see that ever in my lifetime.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it is staggering. I don't even... I guess it didn't register to me, right? Like the idea, and I wonder if most people would think this or not, that actually underneath that lake is the original river channel. Yeah. And it's just been buried. Yeah. Yeah. which yeah. is kind of, a, I don't know, I guess, for me, just kind of naturally understand that as a big reservoir, or a big
2: lake. Exactly. And I love looking at the maps because you can actually see the old river channel. Um, so some of the photos... Um, are pretty close to not necessarily the Colorado River Channel, but there's a lot of side canyons I would explore. And I'm right there, right in their little creek bed or something like that. And you mentioned something about, you know, like i'd be taking photos underwater it's true like if you look at the current maps today um in the blue area which is the lake (laughs) looks like i need some scuba diving you know equipment to take these photographs they're on land i'm on land Mm -hmm. those all are taken on land and which just goes to show how how low the the lake levels are it's still a lake don't get me wrong yeah but it is um you know, Glen Canyon is emerging in some form or fashion, um, more so than I thought. Uh, I thought I was going to see this big, giant lake still, and right. there's these little tidbits that are coming out, and all the archaeology sites are pretty high and dry, so that's <clears throat> good. They're all protected. Um, I think there's some I haven't seen, but they're too close to the river, and still haven't gotten to still haven't gotten down to you know some parts of the river channel that i'd, I'd love to see some cultural sites but mm-hmm. they're still covered up
1: yeah you mentioned it's still a huge lake um but part of it is emerging i almost wonder if um like if you had if you had it your way what would happen for Glen canyon as time unfolds as time goes on
2: i have an idea <clears throat> for the dam if if it's impossible to bring it down then Maybe there could be some sort of like rivers runner, you know, tunnel that can go down in (laughs) and they could like get back, get into through the, through the tunnel, you know, and keep going. Um, And then turn the south side of the dam into solar panels so they can still create electricity. And then on the other side, just a giant climbing wall would be pretty cool. And then, so you could have the bo- best of all the worlds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like Don's playground, right? There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if I did have my choice, I'd be like, I'll get rid of all the dams everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. I, yeah. I just think we're just, I don't, we don't, we don't live in a society that helps us be more self-sufficient or live with the land or, you know, like, grow your own vegetables or collect rainwater or use solar or, you know, we just consume so much. It's like it's hard to, I don't know, justify all that. I think we just need to learn how to live a different way Mm -hmm. instead of just like, you know, taking all the water for water fountains (laughs) instead of drinking water or I don't know, there's there's just a better way I think we can live. Mm -hmm. And if getting rid of the dams kind of pushes us in that direction, that would be rad.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For sure. Yeah, Yeah, I was thinking like, um, I don't know, visually almost like dams sort of represent a relationship that our society has with the natural world in a lot of ways. And I I was thinking like for me, when I think of that visual, it represents control as as opposed to like this partnership or this learning to live with the land or. Exactly. Yeah, understanding that we have this inherent relationship to it.
2: Mm Mm-hmm yeah there's got to be a better way and I think slowly people are realizing that you know and and people are learning more about sustainability Hmm. but it's not the first thing you know they're just so used to turning on their faucet flushing their toilet turning on the lights you know like is there something is there another another way to do this another way to think about it and it's just education yeah yeah eventually I think you know
1: do you see your work as being educational in that way?
2: I hope so. Yeah. Um, that's the point. Yeah, is to definitely bring more awareness, not just make pretty pictures, but bring more awareness to these areas that need our help, right? Like these natural natural places or endangered species. I've worked with the uh, California Condor um, Paragon Fund for mm. quite a while. I've worked with Audubon. Um, did some work with the Grand King and Trust. I've been yeah, trying to I don't know, transfer this fun hog world into more of conservation minded world. So whatever I do, hopefully my story is, is told through education and or inspiration.
1: How have you been transformed by your own work? Like having these experiences of doing photography and making films and that sort of thing?
2: Yeah, I'm definitely inspired uh, by other people. I'm hoping that I do the same back. You know, like, Mm -hmm. take in the knowledge I receive and then push it out through the creative. I hope that's like a, you know, a cycle that I'm part of. Mm -hmm.
0: So how did you get into photography? How did the appeal to go out and take pictures of snowboarding or yeah, how did it actually originate for you?
2: So I was, so this adventure world, I was a photographer or I was a snowboarder. An adventurer. I was a venture. I was a mountain biker. I was a climber. Well, I am all those things. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm an athlete and have been all my life. Yeah. And I love adventures. I love hiking and love the outdoors. And I still rock climb yeah. like all the time. I'm going to go to Italy and go to the Dolomites mm-hmm. oh, this wow. summer. Yeah. yeah. So just always looking for another adventure, of course, and love to keep active. Mm-hmm. And just hiking around our mountain here is just incredible. I just kind of photograph what is my life in a way mm-hmm. and that this film is so much like this, but the last couple of films are about my, have been about my boyfriends. <laughs> so now I'm making it one about me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. I was like, I gotta, I gotta yeah. change the tune here. <laughs> so yeah, I guess I've been just documenting my life pretty much in, in a weird way. Um, through other athletes and through other experiences and then this one's the only one that I've ever done like so close to my heart Mm -hmm. about photography and how much that means to me and I'm in love with photography and the outdoor world so I just think that this film is just so much that collaboration Mm -hmm. that integration together.
0: What what allowed you to narrow that focus or bring the focus back to you rather than subjects outside of you?
2: I think that, that the camera, it, you know, it's such an intimate thing. You know, it's like a part of you. It's an extension of you. So like I was debating on whether to make it about me. I was just going to just be like, oh, you know, this guy, Tad, <laughs> he's so cool. <laughs> and then it, just, it just evolved. Like I made it, I tried to make it more organic. I didn't want like a talking head, like, and this is what we did today. And I was like, no, I can't do a film like that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I needed to do something different, more from the heart. And it just started coming out. And I just started writing letters to Tad and it just became yeah more organic that way.
1: Uh, In your trailer, it comes across that way. Like, I think, like, there's, you can just kind of sense this heartfelt connection to the project. Like, I don't know if it's even just in your voice, your tone, the words you're using along with those images. It's really powerful.
2: Cool. That's what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It
1: doesn't come across like talking head film at all. It no. Really, yeah. yeah. It seems like it's something that this exists within me, and then I'm going to go document this. Mm-hmm. It shows like a deep connection to Tad's work, but also yourself and the land.
2: Yeah. And I think I've learned a lot about myself in that way. Like, it's really a heartfelt project, so you kind of go inward more than you, I guess, you would, mm-hmm. Um, trying to document somebody else's life and try to bring that all in. And, yeah, it was just a really amazing experience, and, and it's still kind of going. I mean, i probably keep going back to Glen Canyon. I'm going to try and finish the film now because it's in time. Yeah. But, um, yeah. I kind of addicted to that place now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back. I want to keep going back as much as I possibly can. Very
1: cool. Who I, I guess I was wondering. It sounds like you have some help on the project. I was wondering who you're working with, and then uh, what your hopes are for the film. I know you said you're hoping to be done with the film and the editing by uh, July. July.
2: July. It's <laughs> July.
1: It's July. And it's July. <laughs> <End of> July. <laughs> yeah. That was my thought. Yeah. <laughs>
2: I started uh, this film with my assistant, Sierra, and she's been wonderful. Um, she can do it all. She can do filming, she could do editing, and she's not afraid to get dirt in her eye <laughs> 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 or yeah. underneath her fingernails. So um, she's an awesome adventurer as well. Cool. Um, so it's been so amazing to work with her. Also Richard Jackson, the man that gave me the camera um, has been a big influence um, on this project as well. I've, I've known him for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, my mentor and him were good friends a long time ago so I, I met him and and he's at master printer and so we've been making prints of the project. Some people have been buying prints um, of Glen Canyon which is pretty pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And so we started the photography part of the project and I had no idea I was going to do a film. I had no idea. Yeah. I was just like, let's just try it. <laughs> I was like thinking. Anyway, so we, we did it and Sierra came on board and was like, yeah, I can film this. I'm like, okay, cool. We had no idea. We didn't have, we didn't have like a script or anything. We were just like winging it. And then all of a sudden it was like,
3: Ding! Well, hello, human listeners. This is Kaylee Quick, and I'm taking control of this cybernetic audio platform you call Beyond Flag to warn you of your impending doom. The robot apocalypse will occur on Stardate 07.09.2022 at Yucca North. Doors are at 7.30 p.m. and show starts at 8.30 p.m. Expect to be mesmerized and controlled as you witness the most beautiful displays of robot ingenuity to date. Performances by models include drag, belly dance, pole dance, burlesque, and a smorgasbord of other acts and oddities. The evening will be guided by the cunning linguistics of the future man himself, Android Dre. Stay for the after party and groove to some robotic tunes by the legendary mad scientist DJ Jess. Tickets can be purchased at bit.ly slash robotapocalypse, and the long-winded version is bit.ly slash capital R-O-B-O-T capital A-P-O-C-A-L-Y-P-S-E. This show is presented by Monster Universe and Culture Shock. Be there or be infinitely square, humans. The end.
1: I guess I wonder where do you see the film going from here?
2: Okay, so Banff is like this incredible mountain film festival and they have also a world tour. Their next deadline is end of July so I definitely want to get in there and see if I can get the movie in and then also share it with um Mountain Film and Telluride and that's not till the next year though it's like it takes a long time for stuff to happen with them films yeah and the Flagstaff Film Festival here is amazing another community that are is just these people are just incredible Mm and wonderful to work with and i've been working with the film festival here in Flagstaff for since um, 2007 or something like that so i've um, been helping with that organization and and just being yeah part of that was is just it feels like family in a way it will air there as well okay yeah so hopefully those 3 for sure but I have a whole list of people I want to send it to. There's like Wild and Scenic Rivers in California, mm-hmm. um, another one out uh, called New York Wild. Um, they were asking me when my movie was mm-hmm. going to be done. So mm-hmm. yeah, people are asking about it and just got to cross your fingers, yeah. cross your toes, <laughs> and your eyes and your legs. And it's a process. Yeah.
3: <laughs> so, yeah.
1: But,
2: yeah. But yeah, hopefully it all will pan out.
0: One of your other films, um, can't can't beat this for fun, it has this creative element to it that's not like we're gonna just do this formulaic documentary. It's like have fun with it while doing it. Is that how you are with all your projects? Or?
2: I hope so. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I want. Ha- I want. I mean, yeah. This particular project, the Tad project, is pretty serious in a way because mm-hmm. just of the whole political and. Mm conservation message, but definitely the film will not be like that. It's Mm -hmm. not going to end like, Oh, that was a Debbie downer. Oh Mm -hmm. my God. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to, yeah, I don't want to live anymore. A lot of conservation movies are like that. And this one can't beat this place for fun was definitely not like that, but it had a conservation message Mm -hmm. about where these boats came from and why they're named a certain, um, place Mm -hmm. It's because they were, dammed rivers yeah. um they at first started like that and then now they're they kind of transformed into just like places that were you know compromised by man
3: mm-hmm.
2: of some sort so mm-hmm. it could be an endangered species um, um areas that are areas damaged that are damaged or... of some sort yeah. yeah um not everybody took that and not every boat owner took that and ran with it but um I just um actually made my own dory and I called it the jaguar. Rare. Do you have a rare?
3: Meow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see. Oh,
2: so I built my own dory and called it the jaguar because the <laughs> the jaguar, the endangered jaguar down on the borderlands yeah, were having a lot of yeah. hard, hard times at the time that I was uh, building it. So I was like, you know, I'm going to call it jaguar. And of course I love leopard and jaguars and all that kind of stuff. And meow meows. Um <laughs> So just,
0: uh, you named it Jaguar and you, yeah. What was the whole process of building the Dory? Like that's such a, wow, what a big venture.
2: Yeah. So COVID really, you know, put the kibosh on everything. Right. So we're just like, well, what do you, how we do with our lives? Um, so I ended up making that film. Can't Mm -hmm. beat this place for fun, but why not make a boat too? And it just came in, it just fell into my lap and I was, and, and Brad Demick, the, The boat builder and the star of, can't beat this place for fun. um, Yeah, offered, hey, yeah, do you want to build? Yeah, I'm going to build a boat. So we ended up building it together. I mean, I can't say I built it. I probably did like, you know, half the work. Um, He would say not. That's not the case. But really what he would do is like, show me what to do. And then I just do it. And then sometimes I'd be like, hmm, I can't remember how to do this. And then I'd go over there and be like, how do I do this again? And like, Show me again. And then I'd, you know, cut the wood, do this, do that. But yeah, what an amazing experience. Yeah, you know, yes. just working with wood and just, you know, creating something that you're going to go down the river with, right? And mm-hmm. then, and again, you know, here I am, a fun hog again. Um, I was a river guide down Grand Canyon for years. <laughs> mm-hmm. I started in, first river trip was in 94, And my first boat down Grand Canyon was in 98. So I'd been rowing boats Mm -hmm. for a long time. And so I have this really big love for the river. So why not make a boat, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Sometimes it was hard work. Like my wrist was seizing up and I couldn't do certain things, you know, pounding or whatever So it's like a lot of hard work, a lot of labor, um, intensive. I remember it was like, I can't do that because of my wrist, blah, blah, blah. I felt like such a wimp, but you kind of learn like, like, oh God, don't make that mistake again. (laughs) Like, you know, predetermine what you're going to do and like kind of really think it out because you don't want to like backtrack on your mistakes. Mm -hmm. And, but Brad was so nice. He was just like, oh, just whatever, you know. We'll just fix it. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so if I mess this up, we made these little tiny dories. that were like nine feet long. They're called Dory X. So that's the boat that I made. Cause mm-hmm. It's a one-man dory, and we took him down Grand Canyon. He made one as well. And we took him down Grand Canyon, and I was so scared I was going to like bash it or crash it or whatever it was. And then he's like, well, why are you so worried? It's like, you know, we could just fix it. I was like, oh, okay. Just take some wood and nail it back together or duct tape it or whatever. He's just like, yeah, just fix it. You'll smash it and we'll fix it. I'm like, okay. And I never smashed it yet. So cross your fingers, cross your toes. Yeah. So now I'm like, oh, if I smash it, I'll just duct tape it and then nail it back together. It's going to be fine. And then I'll take it into a shop and they'll really fix it. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. How long did it take to build the Jaguar?
2: It was a while. Yeah. It took like, started I think June and then ended up going on the river. It's main voyage was down Grand Canyon in October.
1: If you break, like if you just bust the shit out of a wooden boat down there, what do you do? Duct tape, you didn't hear? <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, like, Seriously, duct tape.
1: How much duct tape? Like hole in the boat, you just duct tape in it? yeah. Wow!
2: Yeah, you put duct tape. You you take you pull it out of the water and you dry it off as much as possible. And there's this new stuff called flexi tape, and that's even better than duct tape. But I've seen I've seen boats come in smashed into the warehouse, and, and then it or into the boathouse, and then there's just a huge duct tape thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's like oh. So what did you guys do before duct tape, you know? And they're like, oh, we had this epoxy weird stuff, you know, glue, uh-huh. glue. Just glue it. Glue and
0: um, wood. It's really cool to hear you talk about um, working through the worry about smashing the boat by knowing that you can repair it. It For me, it almost uh, comes full circle back to what you described of showing up at Glen Canyon and being like, oh, wow, this is so much bigger than I thought, or this is, uh, there's so much more exposed than I thought. And then talking about building the relationship with the camera and learning to use it as an extension, the way you had with other products, you almost it's like you let go of how daunting or big something is by spending time with it and developing a relationship with that thing.
2: I think you have to, after a while, you have to just let things Go and and learn and learn from them. I think there's a there's there's thing where you know people stop themselves from doing things because of that feeling of mm-hmm. the, the daunting feeling, mm-hmm. and they don't go past a certain part. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want to be that. I want to keep moving forward as much as possible, and even if I'm scared and worried, hopefully, time. And knowledge, just I can hopefully push past that.
1: Yeah. Um, I was wondering one thing that we typically, you know, before the end of our interviews, we talk a little bit about Flagstaff. And I know when you and I were chatting on the phone a while ago, you mentioned that you graduated from Coconino High School. So you've been here a while. And I'm I'd a be panther. curious. You're a Panther. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't have a Panther bun That's different than that. I only do button requests for Don. <laughs> for Don. <laughs> uh, so, Coconino High School. You've been here for a while. I guess I was curious, how old you were when you made your way to Flagstaff, and what what have you seen with Flagstaff over time? I'd be curious about your relationship to the town.
2: I feel like I've been here forever, not just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I well, I hated the town when I was a little kid because I felt like it had nothing to offer, and I was just that was probably just me being stupid and young, <laughs> and then. As you get older, I guess you get a little bit wiser and realize that like is awesome and that it's beautiful. And I don't know what I was thinking. I thought, oh, I need to go to New York. You know, I need to go to LA. I need to go to San Francisco. And I did. I moved away actually after graduating high school um, from Coconino. I ended up leaving um, for 10 years. I just traveled the world. I was like, I gotta get out of here um, I want to see museums and I want to see culture and I want to see, you know, these crazy cities that everybody goes to because they want to make it rich or whatever it is. You know, there's like this ideal thing that you're supposed to go do, which I went and did. And it didn't make me a better person. I mean, I learned about the world, right? I lived in Paris and Milan and Australia. And I just like went everywhere I possibly could. And then 10 years later, I come back and be like, Okay, I did it. And then I realized that I didn't want to be really anywhere but here. Um, so when I came back, I was with local photographers, um, John running and Sue Bennett. And they were my mentors. They were just awesome. And that community of photographers back then was just really tight, and we all hung out and go to geeked out together. That was great, and we learned a lot from each other and just about creating and being with clients. And yeah, Blackstaff was tight for me. Um, it was a really good way to come back and really focus on my photography because I didn't really—I thought I was going to be a painter. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I thought I was going to be a painter and realize I was probably not a very good painter. It's <laughs> like, okay, forget it, I'm going to move on <laughs> yeah. and then realized that yeah. taking photographs, I love taking photographs and, and everybody was responding to them really, really well. And I was like, wow, nobody really spo- responds to my paintings, but they didn't respond to my photography. Yeah. So maybe I should do this instead. I don't think you get this type of community in other places. Maybe you do, but I haven't experienced it in other places that I do here. The Mm -hmm. community here is so, feels like kind of like family in a way. Like I know that I can just kind of reach out to whoever and just be like, hey, I need help on this and somebody will be there, you know, whether it's my own family or close friends or even not close friends. Um, I think we all have each other's backs here in some weird way or another i mean just even like you guys wanting to i don't know if you want to talk this but um you know help with promotion promoting this film which is awesome and thank you so much oh my god that's like my little heart pitter pat um and then someone like jason from canyon coolers is interested in the project too he thinks it's awesome so there's there's that connection for this film, which is f- phenomenal, right? And then another person came up to me and she's like, Okay, I, I want to help you with your film. And we have this foundation, and we're going to help you with it. I'm like, Oh, really? <laughs> like, how does this all work? Yeah. Like, so this community is so tight in that way. And I don't know, just right now it feels really warm and fuzzy inside. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Well, we feel lucky to support you in this project. This project's inspiring to us. How could others offer support to the project if they wanted to?
2: I started a GoFundMe um, not too long ago, so you can just hop on that. I think you can just type in my name, um, GoFundMe, Don Kish, D-A-W-N-K-I-S-H, or Tad's Emerging World, Um, GoFundMe. I think either one will pop up.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll include a link to it as well in the okay. description. So, yeah.
2: And then, um, there is going, so the Arizona highways did a small, uh, story about this project and also NAU archive at the Klein library. I'll have, be having a show there in September. Um, and then there's also a Glen Canyon Institute, um, up in Utah. They want to do an exhibit as well. So it'll travel and the exhibit will travel around and show people.
1: That was my curiosity was, you know, if you are to describe your relationship with the town or what is the thing that you feel most connected to? The thing I hear you saying is the, the people. Yeah,
2: people definitely. And, and why we're here. Well, it's like, I feel like why we're here is definitely the mountain. Mm -hmm. The mountain really connects us all and Mm -hmm. the natural world, um, because we're not in this big city of concrete even though that it feels bigger and bigger of concrete each day here, but I, it's still this small town. It's still like a, a beautiful community. And yeah, I just feel really lucky and honored to be part of it.
1: Super cool. We, I feel um, super lucky to sit with you today. I feel really excited to see how things unfold for you in the film. Mm-hmm. It looks like such an important project. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Very, very heartfelt. And, yeah, I'm honored to have gotten the camera and all the community coming out and supporting this film. Just like, I'm about to cry right now.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we're pumped for you. And we and, wish you all the best. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for spending the time to come. Uh, Yeah,
2: thanks for having me. And thanks for your support. I really yeah. appreciate you guys.
0: Yeah, you
1: Ah, so Dawn's left the building. She gone. She gone. Man, how much fun was that? That was good. You know, what comes back to me is it kind of reminds me of the Neil episode in a way, which uh, we had all these conversations outside of the actual recording, too, yeah. which were super fun to have with Dawn. It was good kicking it. out the lobby at the Chateau for a while. Yeah, got to learn a lot just about, yeah, her life and perspectives, which is
0: really cool. I mean, one of the benefits, right, is getting to know these people individually rather
1: than just recording
0: a voice yeah. talking about something.
1: Yeah, for sure. It was really fun, really fun talking. Um, what do you take with you from the interview? What, what was it like for you? Ah,
0: there was that one point that sticks out to me most, that I think relates a little I mean, there are so many ways. I think she emphasized the connection to community. She talked about connection to the environment, obviously as her career has evolved towards conservation type art project. Yeah. Um, but i think there's a connection to self element there where she talks about how anxiety provoking and sitting with her in the mm-hmm. room like um she, when she started she emphasized how big and daunting it all seemed when she showed up when she rolled up or if she mm-hmm. was even looking at a map and seeing how far she was going to have to travel to go yeah. take these photos uh, it was daunting yeah. Like anxiety provoking, she totally. said, overwhelming. She used the word overwhelm a lot. And yet she still did the thing. And then later in the show, she ends up talking about how um, she grew to become comfortable with that camera and mm-hmm. with the project. Yeah. And I, so for me, the thing I take from it is that connection to self, where when you encounter that thing that's scary, yeah, if you get over that hump, that's usually where the exploration, mm-hmm. learning, and growth occurs, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah makes it worthwhile. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, for me, and I think part of this, I don't think we talked about on the pod, but it was actually out in conversation afterwards as she was talking about the process of using the camera and that sort of thing. And she was saying, we were talking about social media and she was saying how Instagram is instant, right? And then she was saying this process of using Tad's old camera is anything but instant. And so in a lot of ways, she has to like go through this process and take these film, these photos and she doesn't get feedback immediately in a lot of ways. And so for her, it's not instant. It's a process that takes time. And, um, I was just thinking of all those different, like, uh, all the hiccups, right. Mm -hmm. The wind and the lighting and the going to remote places and that sort of thing. And I was thinking for her, the, the value is found in kind of her purpose with doing the project. Mm -hmm. And so it's cool to see the, the way in which now she gets to share that with everybody. Yeah. Truly fortunate to, and excited to see what, um, comes out. Oh, it looks phenomenal. Those yeah. pictures in that Arizona Highways
0: magazine that she pulled out. Yeah. Just incredible images. Like totally. like seeing the river. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the lake has dried up enough that she has pictures where
1: it's just the river yeah. now, not even the lake. Yeah, the original river channel. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool to see. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And that and just how much fun she was, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> we yeah. got some jokes in there. She was... uh you know, egging on the button game strong. I, I don't know the egging on is the right word. I think she was
0: impressed. Like, I would pick the word impressed or inspi- inspired, maybe. Inspired would yeah, be the word impressed I, and inspired are the two words. I, I mean, if I had to pick out of those two, I'd even pick inspired. I think inspired is a better word for it. I think she emphasized um, dramatically how much inspiration comes from the button
1: game. Yeah. Yeah in addition to the words that are used i can really feel it in the room just palpable <laughs> palpable, palpable inspiration inspiration
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> from the button games yeah so you would know. you say that i'm like a muse <laughs> i'd really have to probably stop short of that you don't think so a muse yeah like i'm i'm a muse i'm inspiring don <clears throat> the artist the button game <laughs>
1: this is one of those moments where my brain shuts down. It's kind of like the same thing where you were asking me if I need to go to therapy. Cause of like you falling out of the boat breaks my whole conceptualization of you. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm totally stuck right now, man. Did you asking did You ask me if you're amused? Just did you, well, I, I kind
0: of leads to another question. We can just, we can leave that for what it is. Uh, but did you start therapy to accept, to, to help your mind reconcile the idea that I didn't perfectly maneuver the rapid? Um, I have not
1: yet. A lot of wait lists out there. i say that. Is that what it is? It's a lot of wait lists, yeah. yeah.
3: So looking me in people, the eye,
0: yeah, yeah. looking me in the eye, you're telling yeah. me
1: you've attempted to schedule with a few people and I, currently I, are on wait lists. I cannot maintain eye contact <laughs> there. It was some of my experience too is calling counselors and they're like, well, if we do a quick five, 10 minute, you know, just kind of get a yeah. an idea of what brings you through the door and me sharing that presenting issue. And most counselors just, um, not having a lot of space for that. Yeah. They don't think it needs a lot of work to reconcile the notion that Dan. Yeah. Are these people that don't me? Uh, apparently. <laughs> it, it is a shocker. That's what I'm saying. It's a shocker. I even went to those online platforms, man. I was hitting up Better Health. I was for <laughs> anybody, man. Better was It's like, yeah. is this about that Dan not doing the river? This is yeah. Dan Phillips mm-hmm. from Flagstaff, Arizona.
0: He fell out the boat. You need to reconcile the idea. Like, did you have the idea that he would
1: successfully make it down the rapid? Maybe that's where it is. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I have not started therapy. Yet. 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 Soon. Soon, maybe. I hope, I hope the best for you. I'm sorry you're going through that struggle. It is, um, wrenching internally. Yeah. (laughs) Both on the heart and the gut. Yeah. And the mind And the mind Mind not <laughs> so much And the muscles Yeah And yeah. the feet And the, and the hands <laughs> Oh gosh Here we go Well, yeah. Why don't you take us out by shouting us out No doubt You can always find us on the Instagrams In the interwebs uh, <laughs> Start with the interwebs then uh, www.beyondflag.com, flag spelled F-L-G. And same with the Insta Gs, you can find us on there, beyond underscore flag, also spelled F-L-G. Big shout to Don for coming through the chateau today. Yeah, mucho thankies. Yeah. All right, take care. Love yous. Why do, why do we do this? Why do we do this? This right here. We're doing it again. Well, at least we got some outtakes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. Your face. Every time I open my eyes
1: and see your face. <laughs> it makes you laugh. Angry or laughter. Those are your two just responses <laughs> to my face.
3: Oh, man. You're just so so over the buttons today. Oh, man.